0: Back to the Dapper Life show. I'm your host, Alex, and in this episode, we have our very first interview for the podcast. I interviewed my friend, Sabrina Chichura. She is out of Australia and she does work with the Enneagram she used to be in the military and we talk about that and the the energy of the military and and maybe how it how it can shift we talk about music and um and and other stuff so yeah i hope you enjoy the interview there's some audio stuff that happened that i'm working out but there is some, some good stuff in here, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the next episode. All right, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dapper Life Show. I'm your host, Alex, and joining me today is Sabrina Shachura. Did I say your last name correctly? Yes, you did. <laughs> Okay. There's another, there's like an alternate pronunciation though. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Like everyone else in my family says it a different way, but you're interviewing me. So you said it the right way for me.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll go with that then. One of the things that I want to talk to you about today is the Enneagram. But before we get into that, I want to reference a, a podcast that you created once upon a time and that I was a part of for a little bit. And Something about that, the name of that podcast and the sentiment behind the name really stuck with me. And so let me just say the name, the name of the podcast was Full Penetration and it has this kind of innuendo thing to it, which is cool, but it also, the really, the deep meaning behind it was that, you know, in this podcast, we're going to, we're going to tear down all the walls and we're going to get to the heart and we're going to bring out this sense of vulnerability to the podcast and I just I think that is a really important element of the really good podcasts is that the hosts they you can see that they show up with not not holding up those walls and not not holding anything back and so I just want to invoke the spirit of of that that sense of vulnerability and and you know, just uh, let's, let's bring that to the table here. And, and yeah. And so I just wanted to ask, you know, when you were doing that podcast, it seemed like vulnerability was a big theme for you. And I'm just curious, like, as the years have gone by, is that something that you still think about a lot? Or what is your relationship with vulnerability?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, vulnerability, like radical vulnerability, kind of came into my life with Brené Brown and a lot of people have heard of her and her work and the famous TED Talk she's got known for was the power of vulnerability and vulnerability felt like the thing that set me free in a lot of ways because for a long time when I was struggling with like depression and like just not feeling fully connected with myself, it was because I wasn't even being fully, fully vulnerable with myself. So that has been something that built. And then, yeah, when, when I had that podcast, the full penetration podcast, like I I wanted that like radical vulnerability and, and definitely as I grow on my journey, on my spiritual journey, on my personal growth journey, I would say that that continues to get deeper because when you're, as you're kind of progressing through, these moments like it is progress so you go further you make a wider or further or both or whatever but there is expansion and so I would say even yeah like it's been two years since I did that podcast and I'm still yeah still like deeper into the vulnerability and and just kind of cutting through some of some of the bullshit and just getting yeah just getting to the heart of it like you mentioned
0: yeah yeah, I think that's great and like for me the the word that that i that i keep wanting to come back to and and really like why i started this podcast is to access like this this authenticity right and and i feel like vulnerability is kind of like the the necessary prerequisite to authenticity in in a way so yeah vulnerability is cool okay cool so i want to talk to you about the enneagram and and so I guess to start, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how, like, tell me about your journey leading up to it. How did it come into your life? And like, how did you develop this uh, this sense of, of certainty around it? And
1: that was kind of the initial introduction, to it, but it wasn't until, like, a year or two later that it became, like, more relevant to my life. And it's just like, anything else like when something resonates really strongly and you feel passionate about it
0: and just yeah how did it how did it come to you
1: yeah so i back in like 2017 or 28 i had a friend who yeah like just had heard of it and, and i feel it's kind of how it gets passed around like a little like someone's heard of it and then they're like oh, well, have you heard of it and then and that's kind of like oh let me tell you about it and so he had this like paper and he was like, Yeah, it's Enneagram thing. You look at this and then you figure out which type you are. And like some people feel that way about astrology or different other like quality types, like Meyer Briggs. And yeah, when something really resonates, through, that's kind of like how life works. You get passionate about it, you want more of it. And then I just, yeah, I started like reading a whole bunch of books and, and, and then that was when I started like my own transformation with it.
0: What do you think about it specifically resonates with you so much as compared to other things like astrology or,
1: or the Myers-Briggs I yeah. compare it a lot to the Myers-Briggs one because I've taken the Myers-Briggs one for as long as I can remember. Like I remember like 12 and 13 and 14 and I would always kind of go back and take it again. But my type changed over time and I realized like when I was really young I was super extroverted like a hundred percent I could never spend time alone, but that was really not my natural state It was just like there was more to it than just I'm an extrovert and now I'm, I'm very outgoing But outgoing and shy is different than extrovert and introvert and I'm more ambivert now Like I spend a lot of time on my own now that I wouldn't have been comfortable doing when I was a kid and so when you see someone who does that kind of change over time, what the Enneagram does more than what I think like the Myers-Briggs does is instead of talking about how your behavior is or what your behavior is, it talks about the why and it gets to like a core, core wound and core essence, like the core light and dark of a person. And I can, you know, sit here and talk about how, Oh, like, i'm a big extrovert and i really want to go out all the time and just be social or like and that's kind of like the material version of the story that involves like what's happening but if i want to really get vulnerable and authentic i'm more likely to talk about well i'm feeling a bit insecure i'm feeling a bit lonely and just like go a layer deeper and the enneagram i feel like is that gift and the reason it resonates so much to me is because I don't care so much how people are showing up or what their behaviors are, but I want to understand their gift and their fear and work with that because that's much closer to their heart, that's much more vulnerable. And, and yeah, it just kind of is a bit more, I guess, expedited in some ways.
0: Um, it seems like one of the things that you said that's unique about it is that it deals more with the why instead of... That the the what I guess and the the core the core fear and desires I think are a really good reference point and that's been like my the useful thing for me around that is like looking at the core fear and desires of like the type that resonate with most and yeah just kind of looking at those and just kind of using it as a reminder. And so I'm curious like that's that's been really useful for me. Like I was just looking at the page like how the enneagram works on the on the main website and just the other the other aspects of it like the levels of development, the the kind of the growth and the stress things and and I, so yeah, I guess I'm just curious like like for me like I kind of I know my type, I know yeah. The types that I resonate with, and so like, what? How can I further explore? And like, what? What else can I? What else should I look at?
1: For sure. So yeah, for me, like, it's not enough for me to walk up to someone and let's say I like suspect that I know their type, and I just look at them and I say, "You have a fort, a fear core of not being worthy of love." Like, um, just saying that, like, just talking about the core fear, like. If you're not aware of it already, me saying it to someone isn't going to like all of a sudden blow their mind and just fix all their problems. So there is like these different steps kind of on the journey with the Enneagram. And what I find the Enneagram does is it doesn't put you in a box, but it shows you the the patterns that kind of come along with a certain archetype of, of person. And by looking at those patterns and categorizing them, they kind of become more manageable and easier to see. So if I say, okay, as this type of person, you might have this kind of pattern and bring a little bit of awareness to that possibility, then what the person can do is start noticing in their own life, oh, I'm doing that thing, that this thing, and oh, this is showing up again over here, even though it looks a little different, they're both tethered to the same piece in the middle. And so I think like when first people get introduced to the Enneagram it's it's good to like read about it and your type but then it's 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 all about just awareness. And so the different levels and everything are are just part of that journey like as I've been working with the Enneagram like a few years ago, I was kind of like flaking off easier patterns. Like, man, I can't even really think of any like specific ones because they're, they're kind of gone out of my field now. So I don't resonate with those like patterns anymore. But most recently I've been going into like deeper and deeper layers of the, essentially the same thing, but just on a deeper level. So now, for example, I'm seeing things about my relationship with my mother that has been not controlling my life, but I've been living my life, even though I haven't lived with my mom for 12 years, I've still been living my life in a way from like my childhood. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Like I don't have to do this anymore. And and so those are kind of like the different layers of like healthiness is how quickly are you recognizing your patterns? How deeply are you recognizing them? And and are you able to kind of like let them go? And then the progression from there in my experience. So it was great when I knew my own personality and was kind of working on myself. But then the reason I'm so immersed and love the Enneagram so much now is because it's not necessarily just about me anymore. Now, understanding all of the types helps me have more compassion for other people because instead of just seeing someone and saying, oh, they're an asshole because they're doing this, I go, oh, well, if they're this type, and they're afraid of this thing, then it makes sense that they would do this unconsciously because they just don't know how else to act. And so my compassion and understanding for other people has expanded. And through that, I've healed relationships with my family members. I'm able to be friends with ex-lovers because it's easier to see things as not personal when you understand more about the core of somebody and I'm yeah I'm just navigating life in a way where I just feel much more compassionate and connected with people in general because I know whatever's happening on the surface is is more more than what they're letting on whether they know it or not and whether I know it or not you know so it's just like given me that beautiful orientation I think in life in general
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's like these kind of tools, they aren't just for understanding yourself, which is maybe where you would logically start, but also as a tool to understand others and have compassion for others. Um, And yeah, just one of the the things I'm curious about, because I see this a lot in astrology, is people will sort of learn their sign or their yeah their sign their they different placements and then kind of use it as a tool almost to to restrict themselves and to to bind themselves to certain to certain things and and so yeah i'm just wondering like did, have you did you have an experience with that at all in in the enneagram do you do you see that happening with people who it's like you 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 want to because you 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 find something that you identify with and that you resonate with. And so it feels kind of good to like put yourself in that, in that space and and be there. But at a certain point, it's like you're, you're restricting yourself to something smaller than, than you need to be. So yeah, you have, you had an experience with that?
1: For sure. So in a lot of ways, I have found that when people discover their type, there's a bit of a relief because prior to discovering their type things were again just confusing like there was just a whole bunch of stuff and then now they discover their type and now there are patterns and recognizable things so there is a bit of like oh my goodness this thing has saved me and like there's a bit of projection onto the Enneagram itself of oh my gosh this is the thing that has given me relief but really all the Enneagram is doing is is giving you that gift of awareness And then as you work through the Enneagram, you're not, you're not trying to like solidify yourself in that you're trying to peel back the layers to be free from it completely. And so in my long-term, if I could say I have a long-term goal, it would be to just work on all the types within myself and just embody more of the essence of each type instead of, um, identifying with the personality fixation that derives from that essence, and I'm actually writing a book on this called The Frequencies of the Enneagram because for me, I see the Enneagram as more than just for people's personalities. Like you can listen to a song and it can have like the resonance of one of the frequencies of the Enneagram, a movie, a moment. Like I think every person, every moment is kind of like a pie chart where like there's a certain percentage of each, re- like each type, each frequency present. And people just happen to incarnate with a certain resonance with each type. And then that resonance is resonating with the essence of it, which the essence of each type is quite pure. Like the essence of the two is just love and compassion and nurturing. The essence of the four is radiance and bliss and beauty and and inspiration. The essence of the six is awareness and faith and courage. And so as humans we 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 resonate and we recognize it and we're like oh my gosh there's love here but then we get kind of hungry for it as a human with our ego and we're like how can i create more of it and so we add layers on top of our essence to like replicate it but the enneagram for me is about peeling those layers back so you can just live your life more in the essence of each frequency and eventually yeah like. I would hope to see a world of people, like in my fantasy world, my like utopia, is everyone knows the Enneagram. Everyone is just like communicating on a level like much beyond the material and the sense of like, I'm not gonna like get mad at you cause you stepped on my lawn, but I'll say like, oh, stepping on my lawn made me feel disrespected in that moment. And that person be like, oh, she's a two, so she wants to feel loved. And like, there's just a deeper resonance and understanding of other people And if everyone knew the Enneagram, it wouldn't be about, oh, I'm putting you in a box. It's I'm working to understand you and the deeper components of what are here between us. And so I kind of went esoteric and maybe went off on a tangent there. But I do feel like it's a progression. Like you first learn of it, you feel relief, you identify with it quite a bit because you're like, Okay, like this has this is giving me permission in a way. But then when you have that permission and that acceptance, you can start to learn to love that part of yourself too. And I get I'm at a point now on my journey where I laugh at myself a lot cuz I'm like I am so silly. Like I'm so silly to think that I have to buy someone's love and affection with my gifts or helping them. And I'm like, "Oh my god, that's so cute that I thought I needed to do that." And I don't like hold it against myself anymore because it's just I get it like that's cool I just wanted love all good like and so that to me feels like the progression like the deeper you go into the Enneagram you do become less solidified in the identification of the personality fixation but you start to tap into the essence of like what's at the core of each of these different things.
0: I'm I'm interested in seeing where you go with your book because it sounds like It sounds like you're really talking about enneagram in a more like fluid way than it's usually presented like that that these are all kind of archetypes that are that are inherent within all of us and and we kind of we tap into them to uh, to different extents at different times and yeah so that's that's really cool so like the last question that i have on the enneagram is in your in your practice what does it look like for you to be working with clients and is it this this sense of like bringing helping them like connect their awareness of their experience to their their enneagram types and and how do you how do you how do you help people over you know numerous sessions and what does that path look like
1: for sure so yeah the first session is obviously is the discovery and in the way that I like to bring the Enneagram to people is I help them discover their type. I will maybe give insights if I think, and, and I don't know if you want to speak about necessarily our session that we had, because I think it's a perfect highlight of this, is I'm helping people arrive to where they are. I'm just showing them where they are. I'm not doing anything extra for them. I just I just have the language of the Enneagram and the, and the gift of understanding it because I've studied it. So I kind of bring someone to where they are now and then say, perfect, this is a, let's start here, let's explore this. And then, and then again, yeah, I'm I'm not doing anything for them that they can't do for themselves, but, but having a mirror, having a reflection helps us see things differently than like, if you're not looking in a mirror, you can't see what's on your face. But if someone like tells you, oh, you've got something a uh, smudge on your face, like I do right now, right? They, they are like, oh, thanks. Like now I'm aware of that I wasn't aware because I couldn't see. Or, they, or you tell them, hey, go look in the mirror. You've got something on your face. So just walking through the world, we're not aware of like our face and our personality and our body. But then when someone mirrors it to us, we're like, oh, we get a moment to think about it. And so that's kind of all I'm really doing is I'm just holding up a mirror and I'm saying, this is what I see and this is what I see in you but it's really only for the person to know if that's true or not because I also am seeing it through my bias, through my lens. And, and so working with people over time is just, is just mirroring each other and exploring and, and creating a safe space to explore because a lot of people in day-to-day life, you don't have a safe space to explore with maybe your mom or if you get mad at some guy on the road or the coffee barista messes up your coffee like that's not really a safe space to explore like deeper vulnerable moments but if you come and sit down with someone with the intention of exploration and curiosity then in some ways i facilitate a space for that to happen and hey you're safe here let's let's explore this and see what happens and then that can be applied Back into like the daily life.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That. That's. It's one of the reasons. But I, I don't use systems like the enneagram as much. I think I mentioned this to you before. But it's like, I, I really enjoy the um, astrologically backed systems like human design and and astrology and and things like that because it kind of takes the the diagnosing, like the the typing out of the question because it's sort of, you know, written in the stars for you. And something that I'm curious about is like, I, I just wonder if there is some connection between Enneagram types dominance or, or whatever and uh, and someone's astrological chart i'm just and and I, I remember i don't know if you're familiar with this but i was reading through the enneagram page and there's i saw how they it was like split into three sections of like the thinking the feeling and the instinctual i think yeah. section and that that just kind of reminded me of maybe like astrology like how the signs are split up into different elements like maybe water is the feeling element and and so i just wonder if there's some some correlation between yeah astrology Mm -hmm. and enneagram and and just i wonder if that can be used as an aid maybe in 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 Mm -hmm. diagnosing someone's type
1: well lucky for you i've Also, I've wondered this too. And last year, I, for fun, just to understand astrology better, started drawing people's birth charts. Like I would just, I was like, I want to just understand scientifically how astrology works. I was like, I just don't fully get it. So I sat and I was drawing people's birth charts. And I was like, oh, so that's just mathematically, scientifically, how we get these different components of their birth chart. And as I was doing that, because I'm familiar with the Enneagram and obsessed and just kind of see my whole paradigm as Enneagram, I was able to see components of the Enneagram in people's birth charts. I was like, oh, it's interesting the way that this element in this planet is working with this element in this planet kind of creates the feeling of resonating with this Enneagram frequency. And the more I open myself up to the Enneagram, like, because you're right, there are triads, they're called, there's three different triads that I'm familiar with within the Enneagram. And so the Enneagram is actually quite mathematical. And I really like math. And so the Enneagram might come off again, as you said, like a lot of people are introduced to it as a personality test. But the further I go into the Enneagram, I see it as a sacred algorithm. And I see it as math. And I see it as numbers. And yes, it's numbers like one through nine, but, but it's much more interesting and complex, but also really simple. And it's, it is an, it is math. And so there is, there is most likely a correlation for sure, or a way that they can be used to complement each other that I've seen.
0: That's super interesting. And, um, how that, how that develops. And, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of potential for, for these systems that have kind of existed in operation between each other to size a little bit. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's the Enneagram. Um, I I just want to, I want to make a, make a segue to another topic. Um, unless you had, if you have any, any closing thoughts on the, enneagram before we we
1: hit on on some really good points and, and I could talk about the Enneagram forever. So it's good. you, <laughs>
0: yeah okay perfect um yeah so i just wanted to ask to talk to you about gov of, of music and you are a uh you're you're a songwriter you play the ukulele you maybe you're on and off with the violin um and and a little bit of piano too so you're you're kind you're, you're you're what do you consider yourself i suppose you? i
1: would identify Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Cool. Great. So a- as a musician, like what is your what would you say your primary drive?
1: Yeah, so for me music it has like a very particular place in my life. I have I I don't have music as like a practice. I don't hold myself to anything. There will be times where like I'm kind of like, "Oh, I wish I was playing more or doing more." But music has really just been shown to be like a gift for me that it really just is like it's an outlet and it's an inspiration. Like that's when I most connect with music is when I'm feeling inspired. And that inspiration can be someone else's music abilities. It can be a song that I hear mostly, especially when it comes to songwriting. I don't often just kind of sit down and think, all right, I'm going to write a song now and kind of like pressure myself usually something's happening in my life and it's emotional in some way and I'm connecting with some sort of feeling and then a a song is kind of gifted to me like I'll all of a sudden be just seeing lyrics and I'm like okay well I should be writing these down and I'll start writing them down and then all of a sudden I'm like oh wow there's like a whole song here that's awesome and so my yeah my relationship with music is quite fluid in that way it comes in and out I let it come in and out as it as it pleases I let it go when it when it needs to when my focus needs to be on other things and I feel inspired for other things but then when it's ready to come back around I let it and and I did buy a violin I have one and I have been playing it actually these past few days because I've been feeling inspired by a particular artist who has a lot of strings in his music and I've been wanting to, to play his music. And so, so yeah, so it just kind of comes and goes like that for me personally.
0: Yeah, that's, that's cool. Ascribe like, you know, like with, with, uh, with songwriting in particular, I feel like that's especially true for me and I'm sure for other people is that like, you know, it, it, you can't, it's hard to control or like, cause, cause I, I think there's a very different process of songwriting versus the process of learning an instrument. And I think, you know, while they're, they're, they're very different and, um, and yeah, and I, I know that you're talking about this like fluidity is, um, is, is really kind of key in, in um, songwriting and, Yeah. So, so you, you've started to play the violin. Um, and yeah, like, you know, and this is, this is my passion in music. Like my, my number one thing is like the process of learning an instrument. I, I really love the, the, and the, the practice that kind of comes with it. It feels like a, like a martial art or something like that that I can surrender myself to. And, uh, yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm just curious. Like, in in your your instrument learning process and your songwriting process, like, I'm sure these these are very different on the instrument learning side. Um, experience, like, um, I, I I feel like what I see a lot with with instrument le- learning instruments is that we we can get to this spot where it feels like work or something like that. And it feels kind of unpleasant in that way. And, and we brush up against a lot of these kind of psychological resistances and like limiting beliefs around talents mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I'm just curious, like in your, in your piano journey and your violin journey, like, do you, have you brushed up?
1: Oh, I mean, Absolutely, of course. However, yes, yes, I have 100%. But what I'm realizing now is that the context in which those psychological resistances came up in the past was in relation to more of like a goal. And something, and I think it's really beautiful that you talked about how you see it as a martial art and you see that the discipline component of it is is beautiful. And that I think is a, is a beautiful quality of like who you are as a person and your essence. It's not a quality I think that I overly identify with and overly resonate with, because for me, I don't often kind of set goals and say, okay, like I want to be like, I want to feel like I'm this level on the violin or the piano. And I'm not saying that's what you do, but this is what I don't do is, or what I maybe used to do in the past and don't do anymore is I don't really have like these goals of like, okay, I just want to be like a concert pianist or a concert violinist. Like I, I find that I experience less of those psychological blocks. If I do bring that element of water into my relationship with music and just fully accept and love where I'm at instead of seeing myself as where I'm not. And then like resenting that. And I think that gap motivates some people and that's part of their journey and that's beautiful. But for me, if I were to like force myself to do that just so I could feel like I was good or better than I am, it doesn't fulfill me. And so I try to just be more self-compassionate and just like accept where I am. And I also acknowledge that if I did truly feel like in my heart that I wanted to be somewhere else with it, I would organically put more effort into it as of right now, for example, like I, I want to put on a concert for my birthday, I want to perform on my birthday. And so I'm recognizing that's going like I can show up and probably do that right now. And it's going to sound a certain way. And I'll be like, okay with it, but I'm inspired to practice and, and to create a better experience. And it doesn't come really from like a goal or something rigid. And so therefore, I don't feel like I'm experiencing as many mental blocks because I'm not like really putting pressure on myself. I'm just actually inspired. And I've had those two different things happen. Like, okay, I want to be disciplined. I want to practice for 20 minutes a day. And if I don't, then I'm kind of upset with myself versus like, oh, today I practiced for an hour randomly. I just felt inspired. And then yesterday I didn't practice at all. And they're two very different ways to kind of approach it. And I'll I'll, I'll give this to you here because it'll be a good segue. It's almost like a masculine and a feminine way to approach it. And they're both appropriate for different moments, but it's, it's just what does the moment call for? And so I've lived my life in both of those spheres. And And I don't think, I'm not like, well, I never want to be rigid. It's just, does the moment call for, like, a more disciplined approach or a more fluid approach? And can you feel into the moment enough to recognize what the moment calls for?
0: Yeah, that's, I'm glad that you brought the masculine feminine thing up because that's that's been really interesting, like, because you really, you, you, like like even just in in one style of music like let's say classical piano, like there's this there's the part of it where you are like drudging through the mud and like fighting kind of in this warrior like way to like uh, it's it's very like it feels like like war in a way and it feels like like you're doing battle and then but once you you get past that say on a certain piece then it's, like, it's about completely surrendering completely and, like, letting your heart fully open and letting that peace, like, fully come through you and, like, a very receptive feminine quality. And so it's, like, it just, they're both there and they're both yeah. equally um, necessary to... And then just like you were saying about just not... uh Cause that's, that's uh, something that is so present in like traditional classical piano education is that it's this race essentially to become a concert pianist and you have to play these really hard songs and you have, it's like, you have to get there and you're running out of time. And it's like, you, Mm. you have to keep going. And it's like, this is how a lot of, Kidding, You know, this is how they're being taught music, which is uh, it's it's just kind of a shame because I think music is meant to be so much more and it shouldn't be a race in that way. But um, and that's that's something that um, in, in my style of music teaching, which I inherited from my piano teacher, it was something that was so striking was that he was like, look, the main goal of music is not. To become a concert pianist for most people like that's not why a lot of people are there Mm. and so it's like we have this way of teaching where we slow it way down and we're like hey you can spend all the time you want in this level if you're enjoying yourself and once you kind of grow out of that and you you want more, you you're going to ask for more and you're going to ask for those harder pieces. And it's not like I'm pushing you to do this stuff. So yeah, music is taught is, um, I think it, it kind of a lot of the times imbalance maybe of like, a you might say like a masculine, um, kind of like rushing thing. And, uh, And, and so, yeah, so yeah, that this is a good segue into this other topic that we wanted to hit on, which is masculine and feminine energies. And, um, and before we dive into the specific example that we're going to talk about, um, I'm just curious if you can expound more on these two archetypes and like why it might be things in this light and, um, archetypes and, um, yeah.
1: yeah. So I'll start with a caveat because in this day and age, there's a lot of controversy and sensitivity around talking about masculine and feminine, but, masculine as a word and feminine as a word. And some people use other words, like I've heard people saying alpha and omega, which creates a little bit less of a correlation of gender in our normal society. So these are just words to describe qualities. And we've all felt ourselves in energy that feels like the qualities of the masculine and energies that feel like the uh, qualities of the feminine. I think you did it perfectly just a few moments ago with the piano. You were like, yeah, you like kind of use the masculine energy to like drudge through. And then on the other side, you just like you surrender to the creativity and, and that's the feminine and that's it. Everyone has that within themselves, man, woman, homosexual, heterosexual, cisgender, transgender, like everybody has masculine and feminine within them. There's no, no debating that. That debate is, is just, it's just the truth. Everyone has both components living inside of them and everyone can tap into either or to go into the more specifics, the masculine and the reason that the masculine is so strongly correlated with men and the male is because when you think of men and the male even anatomy and look at like the the qualities of their anatomy and when you're talking about masculine and feminine you also have to acknowledge sexuality and polarity in that sense when you look at the anatomy of a man his his lingam we say in the spiritual world to to give it a better word is is penetrative it's outside of his body and it's looking for somewhere to go it has like a direction and it's and these are the qualities of without male or or female these are the qualities of masculine it's focused it's a bit more oriented towards like one task it's discipline it's it's more it's it's a little bit less fluid like it's a it's it's penetrative it's it's that it's that quality of like just kind of like honing in your focus and attention and just like laser beaming it forward. And then when you look at the anatomy of a woman, her her yoni, we say, I don't know if you've heard these words before or not, but her yoni is a receptive vessel. Like it is it is the thing that receives that. And so the qualities of the the feminine not of women, but of the feminine is receiving, surrendering, expansion, creativity, and fluidity. And so both of these qualities are absolutely beautiful on their own. And then this is the dance we do in within ourselves. Like, how can I learn a piece of music? How can I best utilize the masculine energy and the feminine energy? How can I parent and best use the masculine and feminine? How can I in my partnership, at my work, like these are all really important questions to ask within ourselves. And then you bring other people into the dynamic. And then that's when you get to dance with the polarity and embodying these certain things. And the embodiment of it looks very different in the reality. And then that's where you get not to go too far down this like tangent and rabbit hole, but that's where you get like these typical gender roles is because, yeah, like when you're, when you're a worker and you're going and you're, Focusing on the task of earning money, that is a very masculine quality. It doesn't mean that only men can do it, but historically that's been people, cisgender men who identify with being masculine, that's what they've gone out and done. And then women who, cisgender women who have identified with being feminine have been like, I wanna stay home and, and clean the house and take care of the kids. And that feels more the feminine energy. These roles can be reversed for sure. But those are when you distill them down the actual qualities of the feminine and the masculine without confusing them with gender and roles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like, I think it's important to see them as energies, archetypes and, you know, just the, the, the etymology of, of the names makes it so, you know, I think hard for us to under, but um, yeah I think it's it's uh, it's something that's shifting definitely is just seeing these more as archetype something that's inherent in all of us and um, but yeah so so you part of your journey is that you were in the military uh, for a period of time and so you've you've spoken before about about kind of the the imbalance there of masculine energy and um i think that's that's something that is you know it it's interesting it kind of it makes sense to an extent um because you know the military is associated with like war and like masculine energy um, and so but 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 that doesn't mean that we can't have more of a balance. So, yeah, so tell me tell me about that imbalance and tell me about how how the, the kind of culture there kind of For
1: sure. Yeah, so so you you nailed it already like the the use of a military is for activities that you need the masculine energy in order to accomplish those things war mission orientation getting a task done these are again as we said earlier like these are these are things that when you utilize the masculine energy that is the efficient way to get it done however when you're dealing with humans and as we said these qualities that are inherent in all of us and you have a human show up to that space who inherently has the masculine and feminine inside of them and they're constantly being put in situations where only the masculine energy is useful and efficient and welcome, then you get people who have to start suppressing their feminine. And the way that that looks is disconnection from emotion, not knowing how to process. Because every time you go out and do something, even if you're in like a masculine energy and you go out and get a, a mission done, you're still a human and that still had an impact on you. And if you don't ebb into the feminine and process that with the qualities of nurturing and feminine and compassion and understanding, then then you don't ever really process it. And so in my experience and an experience of a lot of veterans that I've seen is like we are asked, and this isn't just the military, this is any environment where that focus is, is the valued thing to get you to the top. This could be like business, Wall Street, technology, like companies, wherever it, it's prevalent, you'll get people who feel like they aren't allowed to talk about their emotions. They aren't allowed to seek help for their mental health. Then they start turning to like substance abuse to just numb these things because they're not welcome here. So I can't, I'm not allowed to cry myself to sleep at night. So I'm going to go have a beer with the boys or I'm not allowed to be sad about this thing or angry even or upset. So I'm going to go have some wine with the girls. Like, so in these environments, that is the Is we, we have to acknowledge we're, we're working with humans here. So when they go out and fight a war and use masculine energy and they're in that for so long, when they come back, they need, they need a bath. They need like some nurturing. And I use, so this is actually, I maybe should have brought this up earlier. I use the analogies of rock and water to talk about the masculine and the feminine Mm -hmm. because rock is like, rock can be used as a weapon. Rock can be used to build a fortress. Rock can be for protection. Rock can be made to make tools but water you need to drink water to nurture your body you need to take a bath to wash yourself you need to sink in a bath to relax like so these are the qualities without using like gender and masculine feminine of rock and of of the masculine and the feminine and so when you have a soldier who's been lifting rocks all day and building and chucking rocks and fighting a war when he comes home don't continue to to put him, like, don't throw rocks at him, like, let him have a bath, let him chill out, like, let him relax. And that's kind of the, like, metaphorical way that we, people who have been through those, male or female, because it's not just women who have, you know, been affected by this. The men in these environments are highly affected by the fact that they don't feel like they can sink into their feminine and, and just cry, like, and and just process, you know? And so that has been kind of the challenge of having to like realize, yeah, that I was suppressing my feminine. I was only valuing the efficiency of the masculine and the achievements and the focus. And and for a long time being in the environment, I was conditioned to think that that was what was good. But now I'm like, oh no, it's all good. And it's all useful. And each moment calls for a different combination of the two. And, and it's more fluid than that. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that suppression comes up and then you have to just kind of see the value in both of them.
0: Interesting, yeah. Um, so do you think that like, it, do you think it's it's kind of necessary for the military to have a culture that's more oriented towards the masculine? just to, like you said, to like to accomplish those, those goals. And because that's, that's the, like these are, you know, um, or do you think even within that structure that there's room for more of a balance?
1: Um, for sure. So yeah, absolutely. Like there is a reason the military is masculine because when I'm on a mission, I don't want to look over to the guy who I'm like depending on for my life and see that he's not focused. Like he's, he's not present. He's not focused. He's not task oriented. I'm going to be a little scared for my life if I'm standing next to someone on a mission and I'm like, is this guy going to show up for me? So a hundred percent it, I, I see why the military is the way it is, but there is room for when you're home, like if you're not on a mission and things aren't so life and death, is there a little bit of breathing room? If I don't get this paperwork turned in by 4 p.m. because I'm feeling really stressed out, can there be a little bit of breathing room? Can we step off the gas, step off the, the masculine whatever and and attend to this a little bit? And then that person would probably become more efficient in their masculine because they were allowed to ebb and flow back and forth. The the problem that I personally have with the military is it's treating the problem with the solution that also comes from the same place as the problem. So they're like, okay, like, we have all these people, we're getting our missions done, but then when they come home, they're really kind of like not doing so hot. They're like abusing substance and there's high rates of suicide and there's sexual assault. What are we going to do to fix this? All right, let's focus. Let's check our boxes. Let's get them all into these little PowerPoints and we'll teach them about this stuff. But it's like, okay, if you actually care about the problem, like, cool, you can say that you're addressing the problem, but if you actually care, you would be willing to consider the other options, which are, can we allow for more feminine energy? Can we allow for more compassion when it's not life or death, you know. And so I think that the military either has to kind of say like these environments have to say, look, we actually just don't give a fuck. You show up this way and this is how it is. This is how you get it done. And then you deal with your shit alone. But the military can't do that because we become like property of them and we're humans. And so people wouldn't accept that. Like they'd be like, that's inhumane because it is. And so they have to realize that in order to actually fix the problem they have to be willing to somehow in some way incorporate these other aspects in a genuine way not in a way of like I'm checking my boxes off I'm I'm doing like I'm appearing to be doing the right thing it has to be like no I genuinely care about this problem and a solution for it and so I'm willing to look at all possibilities and okay I'm willing to give my soldier a day off because he's just mentally like not there instead of, Hey, you need to show up and now I'm giving you a counseling cause you didn't show up today and blah, blah, blah. So, so yes, yes. And no to answer your question. Yes. Then the, the masculine is necessary in that context. And I, and I see that and I want that when I'm on a battlefield, I don't want to have to like, Hey man, it's going to be okay. Like we'll see your mom soon. Like, but we got to go like, do this thing you know that doesn't make sense but when you come home like you're allowed to cry you're allowed to like process and integrate and and so there has there has to be there has to be the only way to actually solve the problem genuinely is to allow for that and so in whatever way that's executed i don't know i don't have that solution i'm just doing like my little part in it but um but there probably are systematic ways where that could be executed more genuinely
0: yeah and it, and it seems like it would even benefit to have that kind of a balance where like, you know, like, I, I mean, I, I've, I've never been in the military, but it seems like there would be a certain like kind of burnout that would happen after a time where you're just like, you know, constantly pushing constantly in this thing. And like, so it seems like those just kind of giving those, those moments of like release and surrender would actually help prolong that performance that they're looking for. So, um, yeah, so that, it seems like that that should happen and, and I'm sure it will eventually. Um, so yeah. So,
1: yeah, hopefully.
0: So just kind of wrapping up, um, there's just one question, you know, I'm, I'm, this is a new podcast and I, I want to have like a, like a closing question kind of thing. And so you're my first guest. And so you get to have this first iteration of that question. So, so tell me Sabrina, what is your favorite state of consciousness and what are you doing to manifest that in your life?
1: Oh man. Good question. Oh, yeah. so when I hear you say state of consciousness, what I hear and the word I use is quality of consciousness and the quality of consciousness. I'm going to kind of integrate a lot of what we spoke of today. The quality of the consciousness For the two is love at the heart of the two is just a desire to be the embodiment of love and so as someone who resonates with the two on the enneagram love is for sure one of my favorite states of consciousness or quality of qualities of consciousness and and just being like so heart open I had a moment actually the other day where like I couldn't tell if I was like I was crying I was sobbing my heart was like breaking open so much from love and I was just like this feels the same as like a heartbreak, but I was like, but I'm happy, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just like, just so much love. And and the ways that I am manifesting it is is everything we spoke of today, it, the inner work, it's playing with life, it's music, it's masculine, it's feminine, it's energies, it's, it's just realizing that, we have access to these states of consciousness and these qualities of consciousness in any moment. And so what's the key for this moment to unlock it and, and play and, and be curious to figure that out. And so the how is, is just the curiosity and the tools and the playing. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's my answer to your question.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, are there any, how, how can people find you if someone's listening to this and they want, they're curious about the Enneagram, they want to, they want to reach out. What's the best way to, to find you?
1: Yeah. So Facebook and my name is quite unique and I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes so people can know how to spell it. Yes. It's a doozy. But yeah, any, any social media messaging me, I do have a website. It's a little bit, it'll be coming through but yeah, yeah. So, so Instagram, I would say is probably the easiest. And I actually have been posting lately some Enneagram stuff on Instagram, just like for fun. Again, I've been playing. And so there's quite a bit of free content on my Instagram about the Enneagram. If people are just curious for some exposure to it, like, all right, what are these different types? What do they kind of look like? Things like that. And so, yeah, people are welcome to to check that out and and get a little dose, and to follow me if they want more, and to message me if they want even more.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the Dapper Life show, and um, yeah, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
0: <laughs> Oh! Uh.